Welcome, welcome to 561 Music. My name's Ben. And uh, so today, Hector couldn't make it because he is absolutely swamped with... Um, he Not only is he a musician, he's also an artist and he has, he's got all, all these commissions that have just come in. So... Uh, he will definitely, will definitely, will definitely have him back next week. But uh, but um, Hector is taking a a, a well deserved uh, day off so that he can uh, sort all of his stuff out. And not but, much a day off. He's like working. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> working a lot too. Yeah, a, a day on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the uh, the guest we have today is our very own uh, Justin Hucker. How's it going, Justin? Going well, thanks. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, we. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to um, do one when we talk to you because you're sat there behind the boards and listening to us all going on with ourselves and uh, you don't very often get a chance to uh, to express yourself on here and you're as much a part of uh, doing this podcast as any of us really. So. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, we do, I mean, we do it out of here, which is LMC, um, live music community um, down here in Palm Beach Gardens and, uh, and you know... Um, the idea really even down to the idea you've been involved in it so uh you know but without without any one of us three it wouldn't happen so it's cool thanks man i cool appreciate to have that. you on man that's good having you here <laughs> so um yeah i'm really happy to be here um i had no qualms about my that last job but i have to say working here is great i come in i look forward to coming to work now which is really nice that's great to hear so um let's have a little bit of a chat about uh your musicianship and your musical journey. Um, sure. Wh- why did you start playing music and what was the kind of situation surrounding your early musical development? Um, I think I first started getting into music because of my grandmother. Right. She used to sit at a piano and just play Sesame Street songs and it was just the best thing in the world for me. It was a great way that we bonded. And um, yeah, just it got me kind of started on that path. Um, although I never, I didn't really gravitate towards piano. I just kind of enjoyed listening to her play. Right. And then, uh, I started playing trumpet, uh, and cornet when, um, when I was in junior high school and then moved on to French horn, which is a hell of a fun instrument to play. Sure. Uh, and then really, you know what? I just said yeah. sure out of like a, a kind of knee jerk response, but it is a fun instrument. It to play. is so much fun. It's really, really, it's a difficult, it's way more difficult than people give it credit for. Cause it's like three triggers and you go, oh, it's just like yeah. trumpet or whatever. And trumpet's not easy either by any means, but the, the mouthpiece is significantly smaller. That's so, what I thought. I figured, yeah. I figured it'd be really hard. Like, yeah. You end up doing <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah. like you make this the, the tiniest uh, so it's so hard uh, making that small of a thing with your mouth yeah. but then also your hand plays a, a huge part in the toll in the in the, the tone of it so as you're holding uh, the French horn uh, you you put your hand in the bell and then you curve it and cup it to to get different um, varieties of tone right yeah so that's, like that's fun and yeah. then I was also in marching band and usually they have um a French horn that gets modified to kind of just be like a giant trumpet, and then that's what you use. But they right. didn't have that at my school, so I had to march with this French horn while trying to like hold it up and cup. It's just it's not meant to be like held up and walked around, and then oh, on top wow. of it, you have to hold straight up. Yeah. So yeah, it was a huge pain in the butt, but it was a <laughs> lot of fun to play. And um, and I think why I chose it was uh, Metallica had put out the Black Album, oh. and um, the very first um, thing that you hear in the Unforgiven. Is actually a French horn. 
Okay. And I was like, if it's good enough for Metallica, it's good enough yeah, for me. Absolutely. So I got all into it. Yeah. I love the smooth tone of it. Um, absolutely. I always thought it was interesting that there's such a thing as a French horn and also such a thing as a cor anglais. So, cor anglais? Do you know what that is? I have no idea. Um, they're like a, um, like a bit, a, a cross between an oboe and what's that really big? It's like a cross between an oboe and a bassoon. Oh, bassoon. Okay. Yeah, it's like right, right in between oboe and bassoon. It's like this. Huh. It's like a small... Okay. It's like a small, elegant bassoon or or a massive oboe, basically. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So like right in between the two. So it's yeah. technically a woodwind then. Yeah. And it uh, it is, yeah. And it sounds very, um, it's really nice. I think it's a cor anglais in, um, in Peter and the Wolf. You know oh, that? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah it's cor anglais. Yeah. They sound really nice. Like very melismatic and kind of this lovely sort of warm, warm tone. But yeah, for some reason, the French have an English horn and... The English-speaking world have a French one. Go figure. And the thing that I think is quite funny is that in France, they don't call the French horn the horn. And yeah. in England, we don't call the English horn the horn. They just know what they are at this why. point. Yeah. It's, it's all politics. <laughs> oh, yeah. After um, playing French horn and everything for a while, my sister, uh, when I was 15, I think, gave me my first guitar. And it was just kind of a gift, and she showed oh, me cool. how to play a power chord and said, this this is totally movable, so you can play anything you want now. Your sister sounds cool. That. Oh, she was awesome. Um, I give her a lot of credit for putting up with me and for getting me into music because she, uh, she was six years older than me. Yeah. So she was listening to, like, Alice in Chains and Nirvana and all that stuff that I ended up really loving. Um, and I'd just steal all her albums. That's and, awesome. And just listen. She'd come in and, and smack me over the face. And, <laughs> Give me my albums back. And then I started doing it with her instruments. And she uh, also played drums a little bit. So before you knew it, like I had her whole drum set just set up in my room. Oh, and she'd wow. come home and, you know, I spent like an hour setting this thing up. And then she'd come home and disassemble it and put it back in her room. And we just kind of fight a little. <laughs> That's that neat that you had a, a family yeah. member who was also a kind of a band kind of nerd too. Yeah, she she was into music, but she didn't really do anything with it. She ended up being okay. an artist, oh. um, which is – she's fantastic at it. She's a 3D artist, which is amazing. She does uh, – basically creates uh, games and stuff like that for uh, for phones. Really? So, yeah. But she, she has her sights on doing way more, and I hope she gets a chance to. The um, it just – when you were talking about brass before, reminded me of this – it's a silly story, but I'm just going to tell. So um, when my wife was uh, first – picking out instruments when she was uh, like a kid, like a young kid. She, uh, her mum said to her to play an instrument that's so big that she couldn't carry it home because she didn't want her to practice. So, yeah, so she ended up with the, t- <laughs> she ended up with the tuba and they did make her take it home. So, wow. so my, cri- yeah. yeah, my wife, Christy, had to go to and from school, which is really far, and walk all the way to the bus with this giant tuba every single day. Uh, I, knew, I knew a couple of kids that had to go through that and I was, yeah, I was yeah. glad I wasn't one of them. The, the French horn has this really weird one where because um, it's the same shape as the instrument, so it just has like this giant bell that sticks out, and that's yeah. you know in the case as well. So it doesn't fit anywhere. Yeah, and it kind of like the the tuba is like definitely the most cumbersome, and I've <laughs> seen ones with like wheels and like a rope over it that they're yeah. just like dragging. <laughs> so um, it's a tiny yeah. kid. <laughs> yeah, this poor little kid. Just, and then you see him play, and his you know, cheeks are all poofing out. Yeah, it's 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 a cool instrument. I, I definitely really respect anybody that plays the tuba because that's yeah. it's a difficult instrument on top of everything else that goes along with it. So yeah, you remember um, like when Gypsy Punk. Um, was kind of blowing up and like 10 years ago when it was like kind of this big thing um all of a sudden there was there were all these kind of 
Romany influenced um, kind of indie bands and punk bands that were just popping up all over the place. We found ourselves playing with bands like that quite a lot with Killbillies and um, and you know they'd have they'd have a tuba or a sousaphone or one of those big ones as the bass. Yeah, I thought that was yep. really cool. Have you ever yeah. seen um, the Roots play live? I'm not personally, but I've seen him on TV. Yeah, they're they're um, they're tuba player. You know, he's got the wraparound marching style one. And man, last time I think it was at Sunfest a few years ago or whatever. But man, he came out and just it was like I've never seen anybody with a tuba be that enthusiastic and crazy. And like he was marching around, he was jumping oh, yeah. up and down. Like he was putting on like a really really good show. That's awesome. Which you don't normally see with the tuba. No, normally so. it's a lot of like I have to hold this thing. Uh, yeah, like you want yeah. me to play and put on a show? Like give me a minute. I really respect people with good stage presence and it, for me with Sonic Boom 6 it was a big part of it mm. but since yeah. Killbillies and being basically tied down to this drum I have to play with my feet it's kind of changed the whole dynamic of of my my of the stage show you know it's like a kind of a shame in a way we, for a little bit we did get a drummer kind of for that reason yeah so we could move around I mean um uh, but then I don't know I just feel like Something was lost in the music when we got a drummer. I don't know. You I mean, had a uh, Tyler Kulik and yeah, Tyler Alex Kulik. Mandel occasionally too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and it was a yeah, big up guys. Yep. And it was it was a uh, it was cool in its own way, but I I think somehow a part of the soul of Killbillies is in the feet drums. Absolutely. <laughs> I was just gonna say it's it's just not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like you guys are fantastic and that's like one of your key points is like you gotta see this band. They don't have a drummer, but there is drums all over the place. Like yeah, it's yeah. really yeah. It's it's and I don't know, it kinda ties you to the song, I think. Yeah. A bit more, you know? In a- it, it makes us tight in a really weird way. Mm-hmm. Like we speed up and slow down at the same speed because yep. we're kind of attached to the drums. Yeah. So even though we're not always playing the same speed, we're all playing together. Yep. So yeah, I think it, I think it makes you guys extra tight too. I agree with that. Yeah. So um, talking of stage presence, that's something that I've always admired with you. Like um, and I know that it's something that you definitely kind of uh, are aware of. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Like um, where did that start and um. And how long have you? Can you give us a little bit of a band history of you, of just what bands you've been in, and, sure. and kind of how you approached them and stuff? Yeah. Um, so one of the earliest bands um, that I was in, we, we oh, I was I was really one of those kids. Um, I grew up in Pryor, Oklahoma, and there's just not a lot of musicians there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there wasn't even a music store there. There was nowhere to buy an instrument for a long time when I was growing up. And then, uh, like, if you needed uh, guitar strings, like, you had to go to this place called Sandusky's, and it was just like this little corner shop. And if they weren't open, you didn't get guitar strings. And if right. they were out of strings, you just don't play guitar for a while. Yeah, yeah. So I got really good at, um, at just kind of, like, figuring out ways around things. And I uh, just became a little bit of a MacGyver that, that sure, way. Um, I can so to that. my first few bands were really like me kind of sitting around with a, a buddy or something being like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a band? What would we call it? And then we'd come up with a band name and then yeah. you know, we'd design things and we'd plan it all out and then we'd just never be able to do it. Because it's just <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so uh, my first couple bands were very uh, – they were heavier, kind of more in the vein of like Marilyn Manson and you know like okay. that kind of stuff. That was, yeah, really, yeah. that was big back then. Yeah. Um, riff oriented that kind of new metal kind of yeah yeah and we and we we were into you know things like corn and stuff were you know coming out and being you know big at that time so when corn first came out when they were basically skaters like before they went really makeup-y 
you yeah. know, like that. I was really into them. Like when it, oh, when me too. That first album yeah, changed yeah. my life. Yeah, it completely yeah. changed my life. I remember I heard the song uh, Daddy, which is a brutal, brutally honest song. And the first time I heard it, I was on a school bus and I was coming home and I was just like in tears listening to that song. Oh, and yeah. I was like, man, they're like, this changes everything. Like, yeah, I had totally. no idea that you could be this like open and fragile in, yeah. in music. And that really changed a lot for me. Them and Slipknot so, really hit a chord in the UK. I remember yeah. there was there was a period of time when... You just, if you looked in any direction, you'd see 10 kids in black corn or slipknot hoodies. It yep. was like, yeah. it was a sea of. I've seen slipknot like four or five times now, and every single time, unbelievable show. Like, yeah. Man. Literally the best show you've ever seen. Yeah. Just because of their stage presence alone. And the music is really good and they're tight, but their stage presence is just unbeatable. It's nine yeah. people freaking out yeah. like, the entire time. So it was super fun to watch. Imagine seeing them in a yeah. small club. It must be crazy. Yeah. So they were, um, they were actually back to your to your question about um, about stage presence. They yeah. were actually one of the first ones um, that really got me thinking. Like, it's not enough to go up there and play your music. Like, the reason I saw them so many times is because I wanted to see what they would do next. Every yeah. single time was something amazing and something new. Yeah. So it's like was, that bank Daikaiju that um, Matt was talking about. Last yeah, week. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were just always pushing the envelope, and yeah. I watched um, and I saw them a few times with. Um, like Cold Chamber was was great back then, and um, what was that other band? Uh, Dope Orgy was around. Um, Limp Biscuit was big, but I didn't particularly love them. Yeah, uh, but I did do a couple of their covers when I was growing up. So yeah, my fir- my first few bands were really just kind of like we don't know what we're doing, let's figure it out. And then once we got on stage, it was more like, hey, we don't know what we're doing, so let's just you know go nuts and give people a show and give them something to watch more than anything else. There's a band That's that great. I've forgotten the name of that. I'm just trying to remember. New metal band. It was Are we um, playing on our phones. Hold on a second. Let me get Deftones as well. Oh, to Deftones, dude! How can yeah. you not mention Deftones? I know exactly. Yeah. I just felt bad that they didn't get a mention. Yeah, and, absolutely. If you're going to yeah. mention Corn, you have to mention Deftones. Like, yeah, they were yeah. very, very influential for for each other. Even yeah, it was absolutely. really cool to watch them work together. And they would, you know, they would work in studio and stuff together too. I remember one year when Sonic Boom Six played at Reading and Leeds. We were. Um, we were playing really close to the time that Deftones were playing and I, would, I got to sit at a table next to all the guys like, and I was there for the same reason they were it blew my mind yeah. that I was like on the bill with them that's like the I think for sure that's the most famous I've ever found in my life I would say so that, <laughs> yeah. that must feel really good yeah that was awesome but uh, you know obviously I think they were playing about three or four hours later than us so, you know, it, but um, we were still on the same stage as them and everything you know and by that point they were all real big guys they yeah. Were like, yeah in like you know in the um, sort of basketball gear and everything and and we were all these kind of really sp- early yeah we were in in, we were in the these you know we were these skinny sort of sort of English guys and you know they were they seemed like they were like ten times the size they seemed superhuman you know? yeah in uh, smells like grunge the Nirvana tribute that I did for a while we opened up um, a show that Misfit, Misfits closed yeah and it was like just one of the coolest things I think you yeah. were even at that show you might yeah, have been yeah. playing that show yeah. I, I don't remember but I like, think yeah, No we Name Scarband like, was involved in that, that I think so yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so yeah so we. It was one of those things where it was just like, wait, we're going to open the show that the Misfits are going to close? Super cool. Like, unbelievable. Yeah, like yeah. And then they ended up getting rained out. <laughs> I was like, well, at least we got to play. <laughs> but, yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like those kind of, it's funny, you know, because it's not really about, it's not the most important thing about it, really, far from it. But it is nice to have those little brushes with fame every now and yeah, again, you know. It's absolutely. A, it's a good feeling. It's cool to feel that you're you're on the same stage as somebody that you admire and someone that you look exactly, up to. Exactly, yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it is. It, yep. Yeah, one of those kind of pinch yourself, you know, is this re- really happening kind yeah. of things. Uh, um, it must have been crazy, but um, you and your wife went, went around and... Um, and and met like you went to what was going on with um Kelsey's like uh thing where she was doing all of the uh where she went all to all those gigs what what was that all about well my wife is a world record holder for, right that's for right, the most yeah. shows gone to in one year yeah and the funny thing is she's got the record for like 60 something which isn't like un unheard of right um but she actually went to well over 100 and oh, wow. the the problem is you have to have the ticket stub all right, okay. But when she was at these places, like she was meeting, like I think Taylor Swift was one of the ones that she didn't get to count because she didn't keep the stub. But she's got a picture of her and Taylor Swift. Yeah. And like, you know, emails, uh, you know, talking about the events and how she got there. And like, all, she's got every little detail except for the ticket stub. And they're like, nah, we can't count it. So, uh. <laughs> so she's got like a hundred and something that was actually, um, that she actually went to and wow. it included like you know local bands uh, like spread the dubs on there yeah and uh i think butch and the fat dudes is on that list but you know once again they didn't have ticket stubs so they didn't get counted so yeah, it was sure. kind of a bummer because like half of what she went to didn't get counted but she still got the record the record so yeah, yeah that's amazing so go ahead what and try f- to beat her and she'll do it again <laughs> <laughs> but yeah well she was um is but that, while she was doing oh go ahead do they still do the print versions of the guinness book of records did you yeah, yeah, um, yeah, we just got, we got a plaque though. We, we just got right. like a little thing that we could hang up on the wall and just be like, "She did that." That's so great. awesome. An old friend yeah. of mine, um, her boyfriend, was one of the checkers for Guinness Book of Records. Imagine how cool that job must be. That must be awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. also must be kind of annoying because like how many people probably send in lies? Yeah, you know? true. Like, how many people fake things and yeah. you know, and you gotta yeah, you gotta siphon through all the bullshit. Yeah, it's that's a good suck. point. Yeah, I suppose when you talk, say it like that, it's just kind of like an admin job. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you get to see a lot of cool people doing a lot of crazy things, so it's got to have its ups and downs. Working our way through uh, your sort of sort of band history, and mm-hmm. we talked about the early stuff. Um, when was your when was your first kind of serious band? Would you say? Uh, I'd say when I started writing solo. When right. I, yeah, cause I I started moving around. I grew up in Oklahoma, and then um, I went back and forth between Illinois and Oklahoma. Then I moved out to California and Montana and here Florida, and like I just I moved so many different places that it was like impossible for me to find bandmates because you know I was just I never knew when I was going to leave. So I just started writing things myself. I started learning bass and started singing more, and I just started learning as many instruments as I could just to kind of like be able to do it myself. And I got really into MIDI. Um, and I'd say that's when I really got serious about my own music. Right. And then, then the big problem was, is like, I'm this guy who really loves to perform and performance, you know, stage presence and performance is a really big deal to me. Yeah. And yet here I am having to play, you know, acoustic at a coffee shop or something and I can't do anything. So it was was really frustrating. And I went like that for years before I finally like, um, before I finally started doing things with it. And, Did you used to yeah. play along with um, like sort of beats and stuff that you made on the computer? Yeah. Was it like Nine Inch Nails style kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually, yeah, I did some of that kind of stuff. Um, 
EDM before it was EDM. Back when it was sure, just techno. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> yeah, I used to do stuff like that. And uh, Trent Reznor is a huge influence on me for all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, But no, I, I just got really into writing whatever the hell I felt like. And as it turns out, like a lot of the stuff that I was writing was really dark and just right. crazy and creepy sounding and also had like this overly happy feeling at times so right. it was just uncomfortable so no matter what, no matter what i wrote yeah it was very uncomfortable so it was either extremely sad extremely happy or just extremely extreme right so uh but i'd say like my first um my most successful first band was probably the smells like grunge uh nirvana tribute right i think that was the first one that was like this is serious we need to take it seriously we were getting yeah. good good gigs lots of people were showing up we were the first ones to sell out the kelsey theater uh that's so cool yeah that was a huge honor and pretty much after that they were just like whenever you want to play here and they were trying to get us to come back like every month and i was like you this isn't going to work if we do it every month you know people just saw us they're not going to want to see us again or if they do it's just going to keep dwindling and everything so i was like we got to make it special and do it every few months or something like that um but yeah that was the first one and i took it extremely seriously they were already um established and their singer, uh, Nick, had moved away to, I think, New York or something like that. And um, then they uh, they were doing a show, and I was doing sound for them at Swampgrass Willies. And I saw them, okay. and, then and I you know, had just kind of like brushed by them. I was like, hey, you guys are really good. You know, I really appreciate what you're doing. And I was like, I always kind of wanted to be in a Nirvana tribute. And then they, I guess, took that to heart. And then Hector, actually, where is Hector, by the way? Mm-hmm. Um, and Hi, then, Hector. <laughs> yeah, Hector called me up one day and he was just like, hey, so, you know, you, you still want to try? And I was like, hell yeah, like, let's do this. And then um, I ended up kind of being a bully about it. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> uh, I walked in and I was like, yeah, we're not doing this right. We're not doing this right. <laughs> and I just, oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I try not really to be Really cleaned like, it up. Yeah. I, oh, I try not to be a dick about it, but. But at the same time, I was like, look, if I'm going to get a a wig and stand up (laughs) there as a six foot three tall guy and hunch down to five foot seven or whatever Kurt was like, if I'm really going to do that, like you guys are going to be just as good. Like, there's there's no reason not to. Sure. So I did push them, uh, won some battles, lost some other ones. But for the most part, like we just kept on going and it just got better and better. And we started playing to, you know, I think um, hundreds, thousands of people getting paid really well. And uh, yeah, it was it was just fun. Yeah, it's loads of fun. It's a really it's so exciting playing to large crowds, isn't it? There's nothing yeah. like it. It's just this very the energy is just it's just, unstoppable. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. I, and I mean, I've got some some of my favorite stories ever being a bander from that one. Like, um, yeah, we were we were flying one of my first gigs with them. They were like, hey, you got to learn 40 songs in like a month. And I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> so yeah. learn the 40 songs. And then they're like, hey, we're going to New York for our first gig. Yeah. And I was like, so great. My first one with you guys and I'm super uncomfortable and I've got to fly a long distance, be jet lagged and then go do a show at a place I've never been to. And like it was just really uncomfortable. But at the same time, we played this place called Fontana's. It was a lot, a load of fun. But while we were on the plane right up there – uh, our drummer, Jay, he looked a lot like Dave Grohl, like right. kind, of, kind of a ridiculous amount like Dave Grohl. So <laughs> when we were on the plane, me and Hector are giggling in the back and he's sitting up uh, up front a little bit on his, on his own. And so we start talking to each other we're like, hey, let's 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 play a prank on him. So we you know, got the uh, the stewardess come over and we're like, hey, Dave Grohl 
is sitting right up there and he's flying on this plane. So so you guys should probably like thank him or something, you know, for flying. <laughs> so she went over to Intercom and she was like, we just want to thank Dave Grohl of Nirvana. <laughs> she said Nirvana <laughs> for flying JetBlue. Thank you so much. And everybody starts looking around and Jay gets up and starts looking around. He's like, Dave Grohl's? Oh, motherfuckers. <laughs> and he just put his head down. And <laughs> so we get off the plane. And we're all like, you know, it's the three of us. We're all standing together waiting for our luggage and everything. Yeah. And the luggage starts coming around the carousel and it's drums and stuff. So he looks like he's, you know, he looks like Dave Grohl. He's oh, collecting gee. drums from the carousel. <laughs> and so people start going over and asking for autographs. And, and then stuff. they're like, you don't know so Dave funny. Grohl. <laughs> no, they totally like they were all going for it. Like, it was any, I'm sure anybody who knew was just like, Duh, and then walked away. But there was like a handful, like five or six, seven people that were all coming up being like, oh, yeah. We want your autograph. My daughter is going to be so excited for this. That's so great. It just cracks yeah. me up that like Dave Grohl would be waiting for his own like drums. Yeah, like, as well. It's like, the funniest part. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, this is obvious. <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. That, that was a fun, that was a really fun one. So, um, yeah, that's uh, sadly no more, but um, you've got a, another project called Euphobia. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that? I actually left uh, Smells Like Grunge to do this. Oh, okay. So I left a good paying gig to a no paying, no paying gig. Um, but it's it's all originals. Um, I wrote most of it myself and then got a band together. I recorded really good demos for it. Yeah. Um, so it was really easy when I when I went to you know start finding band members. It wasn't hard to show them like this is my vision because I yeah. had it and it was just like me singing terribly and kind of loose recorded tracks but they were they were all there like you could hear the idea right so when um so i think the first iteration of it was um was hector on bass i was playing guitar and singing and then we got a guy named ken to do the drums and it just didn't end up working out right um and then i ended up finding we went through i don't a know few if i ever met people. ken uh ken mullen i think is his name okay. sorry ken if it's not uh, but he's a really good friend of Hector's, and I think it's actually something he's working with tonight. I think he's oh. actually working with Ken. Interesting. So, he's an yeah. artist? Yeah. Oh. yeah. He does all the 3D art and stuff with, oh, with Hector, cool. too. Oh, cool. Okay. Is he yeah. one of the um, – don't they have like a – isn't it the Chalk Guys or something yep. like that? Chalk yeah. Guys. Yeah, yeah, Chalk Guys. Which, check them out because they are yeah. unbelievable. Like, they do the most crazy 3D chalk art you've ever seen. That's awesome. Yeah. That's super so cool. So we um, – yeah, so after, you know, a few a few iterations, uh I had a uh I asked Brandon Lehman to come in and play drums. He was wanting to do something more along the lines of what I was doing. He wanted to do something that was like grunge and things uh, like that. Right. And so I kind of turned him down on that but said, you know, what do you think about doing this original project and he was he was all about it. He yeah. thought it was really fun. So he brought in uh Casey McKee and uh Casey actually ended up passing away. Um, that's right what about a, a year into that's it awful. yeah it was it was terrible he was so good so good like I, I could just walk in a room and just be like alright so here's my idea for a baseline and then just mumble something and then he'd be like oh like this and then he'd just turn it into a masterpiece before my eyes it was wow. just one of those guys that's just like unbelievably talented yeah and you know he, he just gave it his all and uh, yeah eventually he passed away and uh, at that time we had already gotten James uh, Galliano on vocals, and then Hector actually ended up coming in and filling in for Casey. 
We share two band members, don't we? We did. Yeah, yeah. James and Hector, which yep. is uh, yeah. so far... It hasn't been a problem so far. Long may that continue. <laughs> as long as we don't make it, you're good. You're good. It's pretty funny. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the good thing about it around here is, you know, we're all friends. So if something comes up where we Absolutely. have to juggle things around, it's not impossible to sort yeah. out. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things about a lot of local musicians that I worked with is everybody here is just so chill and just. They're, yeah. they're not looking to screw you over. They're looking to help you. Yeah. And it seems like we've in our in our community, we've got a really good group of people. I agree with that. And I found it to be, you know, just so long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and like acting mm-hmm. right, you know, the resources to you in terms of people and people's time and 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 attention and energies has, is good is vast yeah you know you could really honestly do whatever you want down here it's all just kind of on you and something i realized quite a lot you know it's like the only thing the only thing stopping me from you know starting i don't know like a a violins and tubers and we all dress as clowns project is the fact that i'm i want it <laughs> the, the fact that i'm not doing it's just the fact that i haven't started to do it you know you there's yeah. there's i know enough people to do pretty much whatever i want to do down here which is yep. huge it's amazing yeah, i agree and i was visiting my parents in the country a, a, a few weeks ago and had a really nice time but i did rem- it did remind me of the difference of in 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 like just how many musicians there are here and availability of people and things. Yeah. I think there's, that's twofold. One is the fact that we live in this kind of giant suburbia and the population is actually pretty high, you know, down here. There's a lot of people yeah. around. And um, and also the fact that there's so many bars and restaurants that just need music. There's this kind of... There's enough people who are doing music for a living to kind of support this sort of greater community of uh, kind of bohemian community of musicians that just yeah. exists, you know, which is quite um, rare. You know, it's not like that where, where I grew up. It's so. not like that where I grew up either. Um, yeah. You know, in prior, like I said, like I said, there was like no musicians and the ones that were there were not into what I was into. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was really tough, but yeah, like having supportive musicians around you and then people who aren't musicians, but they just support musicians. That's, right unbelievably great down here like we have a load of people that don't play but just simply love music and they love live music and I think aside of I mean people you know Florida gets made fun of because there's a a lot of people who are retirees here Mm -hmm. but the fact that there's there's, there are some people here with kind of you know independent sources of income who who are going out and doing things just for the sake of it you know the fact that it is a little bit of a tourist spot and, and, and that people are spending a bit of money down here it, it allows for that kind of extra tier of of employment to exist, you know. Like yeah. the service economy is strong here, you know. Very much. Pretty so, much everyone yeah. works in it to in some degree. Yep. You know, either either a you know a server or bar staff or or you know or an entertainer of some kind. There's a lot of us, you know. Yep. Yeah. What I hate hearing, and I, and I sadly I hear it fairly often, is there's no venues down here. Like, are you kidding? Like, I there's know. venues everywhere. You just got to get in there. I like, think it, some people can confuse the fact that there are a lot of cover bands with that there are no original bands. That's not true. Oh, but there are. Yeah, there's just there's plenty. Yeah, there, it's yes, there are a lot of cover bands, but there's not only cover bands. Yeah, absolutely. and having a cover band 
isn't the worst way to make a living if you're also trying to pursue an original project. No, in fact, the two work hand in hand extremely well. Like if if you are an original band and you really want to get a bigger audience, then yes, do some covers and sprinkle in your originals or right. maybe do a cover set to open up for yourself. Exactly. Like there's and, definitely ways to do it. And this might sound a little bit sort of of a romantic notion, but just there's something about that idea of a working band who kind of like evolve into playing their own music that I really yeah. like, yeah. you know? I love that idea. It's quite an old-fashioned idea, and whether or not it's exactly what's happening, I'm not sure. But I like the idea. Yeah, you know? and that's how most of most of my students here, that's how they start. You know, they start in a cover band, and I push them into that. Yeah. And then, you know, I wait for them to start going, hey, you know what? be cool to write our own song. And then I'm like, There's, yeah. that's what I've been waiting for. Let's do this. And then we start doing originals. We start recording and writing and all that good stuff. Yeah. But um, but um, yeah, almost every single band that I've ever taught or been in has started out with like, all right, what what eight covers are we going to start with? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, totally. I've been involved with uh, working with some kids here like who are writing songs in it. And that's something that I like about this about this spotlight music community is that you know you get we're getting them writing pretty young you know yeah. as soon as, as soon as they want to do it yep. we'll let them do it yep. there's no standing in the way of, of creativity and no and I think that that's really important and uh, and you know I I think that Florida has somewhere that that is a a kind of a creative. A creative hotbed is some it is a reality, and I think that I think that, that you know people people should stop kind of doing themselves down around here. There is a lot going on. Yeah, there is a lot of people making music down here. There's plenty of places to record it if you want to as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think it's just a question of getting on and doing it. Quite honestly, yeah, know? and a matter of cost. I get that. Yeah, like that's we purposely um, since we're in music school, we're doing okay. We're we're gonna, yeah. we're going to be fine. So since we have all this glorious equipment, we figured, you know, let's let's uh, open the doors and get some other local artists around here. And yeah. you know, we've had some great acts come through. Yeah, um, elegant. Uh, the elegant harp was really cool. That was my first jazz band that I've ever recorded, and the first yeah, time awesome. I've ever recorded a harp. So that was like loads of fun. Yeah. Um, and I wish I was around Gloria that day. Strays were really cool when they came through. Yeah. We, we recorded Killbillies. We do live streams every week, so we we constantly get get bands in here yeah and we just try to keep it really you know cost efficient for them and make sure that you know they get a good product so at the end of the day you know they're not killing themselves you know sure. trying to afford what's essentially a rough demo you know because yeah. a lot of times like if you even if you go and release it like it could very well get picked up and then when it does well now you got to go into a studio and re-record it anyway so if you're going to be releasing something that's potentially going to get recorded later anyway, then don't spend a ton of money on it. Just get good quality and yeah. then start shopping it around. I think in a way, something visual is, not not in a way, definitely something visual these days is is crucial. Absolutely. it's a, You can't not have it really. In yep. fact, it's almost better to have the visual without the audio than the other way around. <laughs> Sadly, that's somewhat true. Uh, they, yeah. Oh, man, it sucks because if they, they can't change the way you look, but they can change the way you sound. <laughs> I guess what I mean is that uh, in terms of the social media kind of nature of 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 today's kind of like music game it's just and it, you know you just need something that at least pops a bit you know if you if you if you say to someone oh go and check out my song it's on spotify they'll be like yeah okay and they may do and they may not but you know if you if you post a video of your song mm-hmm. on social media a much higher chance of people watching it yeah they'll just watch it to pass the time even if they 
you know, even if they're not particularly interested in the music, and then you might catch them, they might go, oh, actually, I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Video does seem to be, you know, like this whole, um, you know, the whole thing with the last couple of years now, the whole COVID adventure that we've been on, um, really did open up some doors that we weren't really looking in before. And, yeah, you know, I hate to shed light on it, but it's the the whole live streaming thing actually it's kind of fun it's kind yeah. of great and you can really cheaply make a good promo video and use that to shop around to different venues that you don't think exist here in Florida but they totally do <laughs> um you know it's good for sharing it's good to you know if you're going to go on tour and you take this you know you do a live stream well now you have a link that you can show them and you know say you're going to go to Colorado well, now you've got something that you can show a whole bunch of venues there and say, yeah. this is my band. This is what we do. We want to go on tour. We want to play your place. Now they can actually see you before you actually do anything. Yeah. And it's not some cruddy video that, you know, they're you're way off in the distance. And the audio is terrible. Like they can actually get nice up and close and personal and know who they're dealing with. And they can see your whole performance or they can yeah. see just a chunk. Like it's it's really cool to have the video and audio so high quality now and that yeah. wasn't a thing a couple of years ago or if it was it was really expensive yeah and nowadays it's it's much cheaper and f- still very effective yeah so some of the some of the uh rec- we did some recordings down at dc studios um yeah. years ago eight year nine years ago me and micah scott and um for the longest time, they were the best videos we had online. And that was essentially the same thing. It was like, sen- yeah. it was essentially a live stream. Yep. Except we weren't streaming, but it was live takes with a camera in front of us. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'd done loads of different recordings in between, but, you know, that is debatably some of the best stuff that was ever taken of Kilbillies until just recently when we did another live stream. And now we have that. And, and I liked it so much that I ended up using the audio for the album. So, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely a big proponent of all that. Well, now that I've gotten better at it, I definitely want another stab at that. <laughs> yeah, we'll it, was, it. it was good and all, but man, like I, I've learned so much just in the past few months, even yeah. about, about live streaming and how all this stuff works. And I mean, I yeah. studied my ass off to learn about it, but at the same time, like it, you know, takes a while. Sure. Like, could, you know, kind of work out all the kinks exactly so yeah one day we'll do it again do you have a writing process when you're writing these euphobia songs um it what's what's the process um it varies but not by much uh typically i start with the chord progression um, most of my songs uh that's kind of where they stem from i really like using the harmonic minor scale yeah so but I don't necessarily like to just flat out use it, you know, in scale form. I like to look at what it does to the chords. So sure. if I, you know, if I take that seven and I raise it from a flat seven, then suddenly that, you know, minor chord that was on the third now becomes a major chord. Yeah. And so now I have four major chords to work with, which is interesting. And it, it makes, you know, it, so it changes some of the chords that are in there. And then I really just love to work inside of that like weird space that I've now created with yeah. chords that you wouldn't normally hear together. So chords usually come first. If I can yeah. find a good chord progression that I can sink my teeth into, I go there and then I start with rhythms and then bass line. 
comes next, and that's the most important thing to me. Yeah, I love writing baselines. Uh, I love the puzzle that I create because I usually break key and I have all these you know weird things going on. And then the baseline has to find a way to take all that and make it musical and tie it all together and make it sure. work. You should be able to tell a song like through someone's bedroom wall on the other side of the wall. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. Like <laughs> yep. the song should be encapsulated in the baseline. Like, absolutely. Know, absolutely. And, and all of our baselines are very, um, energetic. They move a lot. Yeah. I feel bad for Hector at times. Cause <laughs> like I walk in and I'm like, I got this. This is a good one. Check this out. And then we go through it and he's like, this is going to take me a couple of weeks. I'm like, I know, but go do it. Go but, to- but bass players, I mean, they're, they're uh, they're you know the Ringo star of musicians. <laughs> they, they get a lot of shit, but they're really really important. Ah, like, they're the you, most important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you really break it down, like a bass player juggles between being you know with the drums and the guitar, and sometimes even the vocal. Like, yeah, that bass player is just knee deep in every single thing that's going on in the band, and yeah. and then they get you know joked about. It, well, <laughs> it takes a certain type of person. So it takes someone who's comfortable with the, with themselves to be a good bass player because you know like it's it's not always the most glorious but it is very important and Extremely. To, you know to 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 have someone who's got a level head and can hear how to be the glue to hold the band together is a, yeah. it's an art form you know Hector's but, that Hector has that quality about him absolutely hands down yeah and the thing is the bass doesn't necessarily like I I use a lot of moving bass in mind but like the bass doesn't necessarily have to be this big crazy thing in order to be important like right. if you look at um the Van Halen tune Running with the Devil like that is literally just dot 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 doing the whole thing yeah and but then uh, with everything working around it it suddenly is just this foundation that's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. without it it's just like what, what are you going to do if the baseline followed it and dun 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 dun, dun then it would just kind of like there's no guts to it yeah like just this one i think it's an a just punch punch quarter note quarter note and that just like makes this whole thing work yeah so totally. yeah like, bass players are extremely important no matter how big or small of a part i can't remember I think it was Dave Grohl who was talking about the way that he builds tunes up, and he builds them up. Um, mm. He builds them up as if it's like a the drum yeah. set. Yeah, yeah I drum, saw that. You saw that? Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, your E string is your bass, or is your kick drum? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like your your high E and your B, those are like cymbals. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. Dude, this is insane. Yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. So yeah, good, it, good for him. <laughs> it does make sense, and and it, yeah. you know, there's a lot of that kind of sensibility in Travis picking as well. It's basically what mm-hmm. Travis picking is. Yep. You know, he's he's kind of learnt Travis picking in kind of in reverse. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, he uses it differently, but yeah, it's the same concept. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. With the the steady the steady bass and then and then the syncopation in the in the upper registers that yeah. gives it the interest. Yeah, for sure. So um um the next question um, for a uh, music teacher is a rather personal one, and it's do you practice? <laughs> <laughs> I knew this one was coming. Uh, yeah. The answer, of course, is not as much as I should, but yeah. I also teach all day, so I'm, I'm always playing. Um, I love to write. I, I typically write. I try to write something every day or every you know couple days or so. Yeah. Know, just I sit on my couch, come up with a couple of riffs, and then just put them in the bank for when I feel like the need to write an album. Um, so I definitely don't sit down and practice like I'm supposed to, but I sit down and write a lot, and I feel like that's just as good. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, what I 
I'm really trying to practice at the moment is 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 just running. I want to I want to get my sweeps really solid, but oh, that that's yeah. just kind of like learning how to do a Everybody. kickflip on a skateboard. That's just like yeah, you just have to keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's no there's no shortcut for that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not I'm not a fast guitar player by any means. I will probably never learn sweeping. I get the concept, but I'm like. Nah. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> when, I, when I bought that Jackson that um, we were talking about earlier, um, yeah. that was kind of like, it's like, okay, I give myself permission to buy this guitar, but in return, I shall learn how to sweep. <laughs> <laughs> and how many years ago was that? It was, it was like a, nine months ago. It was oh, not okay. like that's not bad. And I have yeah. been practicing it, but I started Absolutely. practicing the sweeping a lot more. I've kind of, it has dwindled a little bit. I've got to kick myself up the butt with it. But That's all right. You I, know. If I... Honestly, and I preach this to all my students, is practice shouldn't be about time. It should be about goal. Yeah. So if I have a goal, if I have something that I'm like, man, I really suck at this. I need to work on this. Then, like, you'll see me practice my ass off. Right. Gotcha. But if I don't have anything that I specifically need to work on, nah, probably not going to practice that much. Yeah. It's just it's so much about goal. Like, if I if I know that I need to do something, I'll do it. But other than yeah. that, nah, I just want to sit around and write weird songs. Yeah, fair just, enough. Yeah. So uh, this episode is sponsored by uh, Handlebars, and Handlebars is um, a biker bar that's in Tequesta, which is a small town between just north of Jupiter on US-1, um, right on the border of uh, Palm Beach County, Ma- Martin County. And uh, my father-in-law, Peter Pinello, um, wanted to reopen it because um, it's a local landmark and it's been a cool little biker spot for the longest time, for decades, and it had fallen into disrepair. Um, Victor, the previous owner, had got to the point where he didn't want to, you know, spend a lot of time and money and energy with the upkeep, so needed someone to to carry the baton, basically. And uh, my father-in-law decided to do that and i've been helping him with uh booking the music and all this kind of stuff but the place is really cool it's uh there's it has great beer on tap we have bernsey in the kitchen making delicious food have jamie um uh behind the bar and um we have music on saturday nights um saturday sort of afternoon evenings from five to eight except stay tuned on that because we might be changing it to six to nine and uh, we have music on Sunday afternoons and we have music on the second Thursday of every month because that's our bike night. We're, and so far, all of them have been great. They've been a lot of fun. So if you ride a motorbike or even if you don't and you just want to come and check out the vibe because it's certainly a very unique and fun one, come and check out Handlebars. We are um, looking forward to you showing up and uh, ordering a beer and a burger. All right, so... um Justin, we've got a couple of things up there on the screen, and um, and why don't you tell us a little bit about them? Sure. Um, okay, so left to right, the pedal board. Uh, I've got a chorus pedal and then a delay pedal, both just you know typical Boss stuff. I love Boss. Um, next to that is, silly enough, this is a Euphoria pedal. And I know, I saw that. Everybody keeps joking, like, I need to change the R to a B, so it's <laughs> yeah. Euphoria pedal. Um, and somebody was like, did you buy that just because, no, I didn't. I actually did a lot of research on it. It's, uh, it's one of these great pedals that just has crystal clear highs and, uh, is able to get a a lot of grit. Okay. So I really enjoy it. And if you push that bass up a bit, you kind of get into fuzz territory a little bit, which is fun. 
Oh, right. Uh, so it's it's actually a really good uh, pedal. It costs me a couple hundred bucks and it's uh, made by, I think, Warbler? 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 Warbler. That's the one. <laughs> Next to that, typical, uh, typical Big Muff, but it's the small version, which I really don't like as much as the uh, the, the bigger Big Muff. Yeah. Um, so it's like a smaller size, but it's all I could do to fit the fit it in my pedal board. The bigger so, the better, I say. Yeah, it really like with those pedals. Yeah, if you've got like the the old school big old fat one, like that's the one that's going to sound good. Yeah. Um, above that's just a sound pr- noise suppression, and then um, I used to have one of those, and they yeah. make they make chugs and like and like beat downs and breakdowns so much better, don't they? Absolutely. You get that dog, dog. Yep. Like yeah, yep. so and, they're, and they're just good for you know for control. Like yeah, I you know if I push my distortions and everything way higher than they're supposed to go, it feeds back like mad crazy. So it's yeah, and nice it, to have that to you know calm it down a little. Are you do you what guitar do you use with all of this? Uh, so that up there is a is Hello the, Kitty. Is guitar. that the guitar that you use when you play live? Yeah, yeah that's that cool. One, so. And I actually just bought a second one um, that I had modified to include a theremin. Yeah, that's right. So I took that to Mike Paparo, which is like the greatest luthier that we have around here. So definitely, if you got something that needs to be fixed, go to him. Um, but yeah, we installed a theremin in it, and so now I just have this wacky little. Thing in there that I, I got to figure out how to write with. And yeah, yeah. Well, that'd be fun. I you just no got the guys that. loop some grooves and just mess around over the That's top. That's probably. Man. I was thinking about that. Like, I, yeah. I'll probably just end up using it to um, build ambiance and stuff. I probably won't um, really go nuts with it live, but I'll I'll definitely take it out and play around with it. But um, yeah. So this Hello Kitty guitar uh, was a gift from my wife. Uh, oh, really? God, cool. Ten, twelve years ago, something like that. And uh, she got it for me kind of as a, as a gag. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a cheap guitar, so it was kind of funny just to give it to me. And I yeah. ended up really liking it. Like, it's it's a really good little guitar. It was Does well, it come like well that with the, uh, with the humbucker in the, by the bridge? Yeah. No, the, uh, the humbucker that they have in there is kind of weak. Um, yeah, so I got a Gibson it. 57 humbucker, put that in there. Ah, no problems. Interesting. Um, and what's the? Do you have the noise suppressor in there because the guitar itself is noisy, or is the what's the guitar like? No, it's it? it's more to to kind of keep the feedback in check more yeah, than okay. anything else. Uh, yeah. It's it's not too not too noisy. Uh, it's right. just a single volume, no tone control or anything. So it's it's pretty limited, but it's you know it's very much along the lines of like Jerry Cantrell's guitar, where he's just got that one. Yeah, uh, that one humbucker and a volume knob, and that's all you get. And I was very much into that idea of simplicity is just always best for me. Um, every guitar that I've ever used, anyway, I always just turn up all the controls, and then I do everything yeah. through my amp, anyway. So yeah. whatever. That's I always tell yeah. students that, and because a lot of kids w- want to control their guitar with their volume, yeah, um, you know, they're not aware that they're essentially just rolling off all the top end of the tone, yeah. you know, yeah. all of the bite, all their bite, yeah, it's just gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, fun guitar spent way too much on it uh i've updated pretty much everything there is to update on there uh i really need to take it in and get it like cleaned and just maintenance and everything but yeah i don't know maybe i'll just do it myself one day i have a soft spot for kind of keeping the same piece of wood and just sort of like you know how many times can you replace the head and the and the and the stick of a mop before it's a different mop type thing you know yeah Yeah, i'm I'm all about that i love that theory it's yeah yeah. yeah. (laughs) totally that's um i I enjoy doing that with guitars too i've got a uh my um fender telecaster from the my days when i was playing with sonic boom six is uh 
I mean, it's pretty tore up, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to take it to a luthier and get them to replace everything that needs replacing and, you know, keep the old girl running because, you know, there's soul in there, you know? Absolutely. Like, I think there's just something about, you know, keeping that same guitar, you know, like, like trigger, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, yeah. guitar's got personality to it. It's, Absolutely. You know, it's, if you change too much, eventually it's not the same thing. And you see a lot of people, you know, with these... Uh, kind of distressed like guitars that you can buy the pre-worn kind of guitars yeah and i always think to myself well why don't you just use a guitar a lot and yeah. then it'll just it'll be just that just wear a belt buckle and go for it like, <laughs> yeah, yeah you'll yeah. tear the shit out of it just, know, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't look good for the first three months when it's only got a couple of dings in it but give yeah. it a couple of years and you know like the funny thing is i've seen i used to have a friend that bought you know spent 1500 bucks or so on some fender and it was worn and everything and then he put a ding in it and he got upset i know <laughs> i was like dude like, you, How are you going to live through this? Like this makes no, it makes zero sense. Yeah, it's like buying jeans with holes in the knees, which I am a. I do do that, but it's kind of like that, you know. <laughs> it's too. it's silly, but sometimes they are beautiful though. You have to be very careful with them. You have to be very like you, every now and again you get you get a beautiful pre worn guitar, and I don't want to hate on people who buy these kind of guitars, but you know the pre distressed ones. But it's it's not it's not my thing. Uh, all right then, so um. You know, we're we're kind of uh, winding up to the end here. I think I'm going to uh, just uh, say to everybody, we've got a great show next week. We've got Scott Gaylor, who is um, a local guitar guru. He just knows exactly what he's doing. He's an absolute master on that thing. And um, and he's going to bring a whole load of pedals, and we're going to look through his pedals. And he is one of these people who just collects pedals like they're going out of style. He's got a million of them. And he also, uh, you may have, I don't know um, if everyone who's listening to this heard the episode, but he came on and talked about, you know, his life as a professional guitarist, and he demos pedals at NAMM, and he does all of this cool stuff. So, um uh, he's a perfect person to talk um, to us about pedals because he really genuinely does know what he's talking about and might even know the guy who built the pedal. I mean, stood at that <laughs> point of ridiculousness. So that's going to be a really, really fun um, episode. You should definitely tune in for that. And I think we're going to have Hector back for that one too, so that'll be cool. And, and I'll be back behind the curtain, so yeah, <laughs> I won't yeah. be bothering you anymore. Just, yeah, just, Justin will be relegated back to the booth. Um but yeah, outside of that, we've got quite a busy uh, week this weekend with Kilbillies. We got a, uh, so um, we do have a gig on Thursday. But by the time you hear this, that will be over. So we're playing in Mulligans at Mulligans in Stewart from six p.m. to nine p.m. on Friday, and then we're playing at Pirates Cove. But that's just me and James on Saturday from uh, seven thirty to ten thirty, and I think that's the. Uh, the extent of the Killbillies action this weekend. Um, yep, that's it. And if you want to come and check out some uh, really cool um, old school um, classic Americana, Slip Mahoney from Slip and the Spinouts is playing at um, at Handlebars from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. on August the 1st. And he has a really interesting set list. He, you know, there's a lot of guys out there who'll just kind of, you know, bang out the, the, the tunes that they think everyone wants to hear. But Slip has a really good taste in music and he plays a lot of really interesting and classic Americana. So, you know, that's something that you should, you should come and check out. 
And um, so, Euphobia's show is Saturday, August the 7th, and it is at um, Swampgrass Willies, which is a real cool spot down in Palm Beach Gardens. If you've never been there, just going there itself is fun and an experience. They've got a gazillion posters from old gigs on the walls. They've got, they've got a really great stage, and um, they have food, and they've got a full bar, and it's a good time in there. And um, the best thing about it is that Euphobia, with support from um, Fall Victim and Butch and the Fat Dupes, yep. they're all playing there on August 7th. And it starts at 8, and it's 5 bucks on the door. So you guys uh, should come check that gig out. Yeah, yeah good man, luck I love that we're having Butch and the Fat Dupes, especially because that's, you know, James is, is in that band, too. Yeah. So he's got to, you know, sing with Butch and the Fat Dupes, and then he's got a little break, and then, you know, uh, so it's he's going to have a long, fun night. Yeah, so it sounds like as we were recording the podcast, um, James Galliano, the singer from Euphobia, got back to you and said that he can come and you guys are going to perform a Euphobia song in the 561 Music Lounge, is that right? Yeah, so let's do things out of order a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. And we'll do that. I was originally not going to be able to play a song because typically my stuff, uh, it's James's voice and without it, I just don't think it works as well. Yeah. So I was really happy James is going to run up here and we'll, we'll do a couple songs for you. Nice one. All right. Cool. See ya. Let me tell you about the world out there. Pump cats, grease, and pigs make quite a parasite. No give, no life to give, no care. Education is a company. The seed builds trust in the economy. It's lost. No gun, no God above Stone 